1: Please join me in reading this morning's scripture found in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, which is page 802 in your pew Bible. When they came near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut the branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee.
0: Well, they could not wait for the election. And by that, I don't mean that the Israelites were all giddy and excited and couldn't wait for the election. I mean, they couldn't wait for the election to happen because there wasn't going to be an election in the first century israel was subject to roman rule and there was no hopeful sign that that was going to change anytime soon uh, in in today's language israel's political party was not in power and there was no hope of an upcoming election so they were just hopeless subjects of a government that doesn't represent them stuck. Unless, unless there is an overthrow. If a powerful enough leader emerges from within the Jewish community and plans a successful violent overthrow of Rome, then the Jews would be on top again. It would be like when King David ruled over all of Israel. It has been their dream and their hope and their prayer for a long, long time. And this kind of revolt happened before. They remember and they would tell it over and over and over. They would tell the heroic stories of Judas Maccabeus. It was nearly two centuries earlier, but, and, and the Greeks were in control at the time, not the, Rome, not the Romans. But the Greeks had control of the region. It was nearly 200 years ago, but they still tell the stories over and over and over. And not only were the Greeks in control, but King Antiochus had also completely banned the practice of Judaism in the region. So, Solomon's temple had been turned into a site for pagan worship. Everything was oppression at its absolute worst. It might have been the Hebrews' worst season yet. But things got so harsh that it incited a movement. There's a group of Jewish fighters led by Judas Maccabeus, and they led a revolt, a guerrilla movement against the Greek oppressors. And in uh, 164 BC, the Jews recaptured Jerusalem, rededicated the temple. Sadly, it didn't last long. They didn't regain control of Israel, but eventually they did get to reestablish their faith practices. And Judas Maccabeus was the great hero of this Jewish legend. He was their Savior. He was their Messiah. That's what they called the Savior, Messiah. And now, nearly 200 years later, the Jews are being oppressed by Rome. And unless a military leader like Judas Maccabeus emerges, the Jews are just destined to being second-class subjects. And so they pray, and they pray, and they pray that God will bring a Savior. Meanwhile there is a carpenter in the north country who's causing quite a stir. In fact, some are saying, could it be? I mean, he's gotten quite a following. Matthew's gospel refers to this growing group of followers as the crowds. And in Matthew, the crowds through the gospel grow in size and amazement. Beginning in chapter 4, Jesus' healing people draws a following, quote, And great crowds followed Him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. By chapter 7, they're not just awed by His miracles, but also by His teaching. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at His teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. And by chapter 12 there's at least a rumble that this guy might be the one. All the crowds were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Do you see the crowd is. Started to balloon, and there's this growing murmur about this guy, and he checks lots of boxes about what is expected in the next savior and what that savior might look like. I mean, he's born in Bethlehem. He's from the line of Judah, uh, the line of David. I mean, who knows? This could be the one, and they wanted him to be the next savior. They've been waiting and praying and hoping that God will send another Messiah to free them from this system of domination. They are politically oppressed, economically exploited, religiously muzzled. And as I said, they can't just wait till the next election. Until God raises up a new Messiah, they're stuck. So this is the backdrop for the energy that's behind today's story as Jesus makes His way to the Passover. It's the most sacred week of the Jewish year. The Passover festival brings hordes of pilgrims into Jerusalem. So Pontius Pilate, Rome's imperial representative, has increased the presence of his Power, like you know, when it, like when Atlanta hosts the SEC championship or the Final Four, the city of Atlanta puts lots of police downtown, horsebacks on every corner. It increases the visibility of power as a way of keeping things calm. Well, during the festival season, when hordes of disgruntled Jews are going to be gathering, it's a good idea for Pilate to show strength. Remind them who's in charge. So there is this visual display of imperial power mixing in with all the religious pilgrims. Calvary on horseback, foot soldiers, helmets, weapons, banners, sounds of marching soldiers, clomping horses, creaking leather, power. And Matthew says... That the city, when Jesus enters, is in turmoil. It's the same Greek root as the word, our word, seismic. The Israelites are expecting their own show of force. Remember their rumors about a Messiah from Galilee and this, this these two forces coming together is what makes this feel seismic. And part of the great legend of Judas Maccabeus is that when he and his forces came into the city, the crowds laid palm branches and shouted, Hosanna, which means, save us. And when Judas Maccabeus and his army came down the mountain to the adoring crowds, he had a sword in one hand and the reins of a war stallion in the other, and it was time for a showdown. Well, this was the dramatic expectation when the prophet Jesus comes into Jerusalem down the Mount of Olives and the crowds are just going wild. Like, kids, this is it? Can't you just feel it? This is the one. And Matthew's gospel doesn't include the palms, but other biblical accounts tell us that, the crowds put palm leaves on the road just like they did when the Maccabean came into town that day. And they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And into these wild cheers, turning the corner, coming into this wild and expectant group, is a man on the back of a donkey colt. And the crowd say, Who is this? I mean to say that this scene is not what they were expecting is one of the grandest understatements. I mean, this isn't even what they are expecting. They are expecting a warrior. A war horse, a release from Rome's oppression. They expected an army, rebels, a mighty leader, a savior. And what they got was a peasant procession from Galilee, and the leader is riding a donkey colt. He didn't come to wage war. But to banish war. He didn't come to defeat enemies, he has none. Jesus didn't come to establish a new kingdom based on force, but a new kingdom ruled by love. He didn't come on the back of a war stallion, but on the back of a donkey. And the crowds had no category for the drama they were watching unfold. And they said, who is this? And this is not some subtle subtext of the gospel story. This acted out drama on the first day of the world's most important week is at the center of the Christian message. Jesus came to turn the world upside down. The irony is that He is the Messiah who came to save from systems of domination. He is the Savior, but in no way we expect it. He's come to save the world through love and not force. He's come on a symbol of meekness because he will never use force or demean or slight or attack or abuse. Now, today we live in a world that is far more dangerous than Pontius Pilate on a horseback but it's still governed by force and might. There's a good chance that today, while we're sitting here, there are Russian attacks against innocent people who are fighting back with borrowed military gear. Who will win this war of military might? Political ads with slant and slander attack. Who will win the war of political destruction? Hostile acquisitions. Who will win the war of commercial dominance? And there is a Savior on the back of a donkey who's come to inaugurate a different way. In fact, it's the only way the world can be saved. It's a kingdom where there are no enemies, just people made in the image of God. A kingdom where there's no hatred, only difficult exercising, exercises of forgiving one another. A kingdom where there's no hoarding, no gorging, just generosity. I know, I know, it looks upside down and crazy. But the world can only be saved by love. The Israelites prayed for a Savior and God answered their prayers. The Messiah has come, but he came riding a donkey and showing us God's plan To save the world through selfless living. All right, I'm going to confess to you all my least favorite hymn. Bill, I I love the hymns of the church and today's music has been spectacular. I just don't love all the hymns of the church the same. So, um, I have never liked... Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe. Forward into battle, see his banners go. The Christ follower isn't marching as to war. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And our mission is to model the upside-down message of God's unyielding love for all people, all people. We love the unlovely. We don't work to defeat, but to reclaim. And if we have the spirit of the man riding the donkey within us, The Apostle Paul says that it bears fruit. That is, you can see it. And it looks like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you won't see any of that on a Nike commercial. Because it's upside down. I need to warn you that this upside down life is dangerous. It is much easier to continue on a path in the way of defeat and gain and slander and us versus them. It is what the culture expects. And it's a much easier path. But if you start to model the way of Jesus, To model this way of radical love, somebody's going to say, like they did of Jesus that day, who is this? The way of radical love was so threatening to power that this week that starts in Hosannas ends in a crucifixion. There is no cultural support for loving enemies. For loving people without condition. It's radical. And it's the only thing that will save the world. A challenge to imperial power that will save the world? Yes, this is not hyperbole. And does it doesn't require moving to India to work in the orphanage. We enter this Jesus way of living from our carports, Christ followers in work clothes who live in Atlanta and go to ball games, but who are called to and have adopted this way of life that's upside down. Two weeks ago Melissa and I uh, attended an event across the street at St. Philip's. Uh, It was a fundraiser event for the day one radio (laughs) broadcast. The featured speaker for the event was Bishop Michael Curry who is the presiding Bishop of the Episcopal Church. But you probably know him better uh, as the American priest uh, who officiated the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan. He was wonderful and funny and insightful and A glorious ambassador of this kind of radical way of loving. In fact, his book, his recent book is entitled, Love is the Way. And and in that book, we bought the book that night. He was just so captivating. We couldn't wait to hear more of what he had to say. And in that book, he tells this great story of of this hard-knuckled interview he had with an interviewer from the Harvard Business Review. And this tough, challenging interviewer asks him, Love's great, but how does it apply to a CEO? Curry says, To switch on God's GPS, simply ask yourself a question Is this just about me, or is it about we? Does this decision serve only my unenlightened self interest or does it somehow serve the greater good? And if the answer is me, 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 and only me, you don't do it. It's that simple. Me or we? It is that simple. It is as simple as doing the loving thing always. It's as simple as riding a donkey. It's also hard. And it's radical enough to have people scratching their heads saying, Who is this? And it's powerful enough to change the world. We're trying to figure out how to do that here, how to practice this upside-down way of living. We're all doing it imperfectly, but we're doing it in community. And we would welcome any of you who might want to join this community and figure out this way of Jesus with us. We're trying to figure out how to do our part to change the world by being agents of the love of Christ who's called us together. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.